What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dev Valley coming at you with another NBA team look ahead for the 22-23 season. We are on to the Golden State Warriors, which means we had to bring back, I think for the third season running, Samus Findiari from the Light Years podcast. I like the world famous Light Years podcast at this <laughs> point. Uh, also does growth at Watch Playback. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already at Samus Findiari. That's at S A M E S F A N D I A R I. I have many, many questions for him, surprisingly. <laughs> the most important of which, though, Sam, how the heck are you doing? I'm good. You know, I, I pencil you in for our yearly our yearly summit in October before the season starts. So, you know, you know, I was going to do this. Um, thought this was going to be a, a more, uh, you know, low key preseason. But the the Warriors and the basketball gods had different ideas. Right. And I that just has to be the place to start because I think it informs so much about what this team is going to do this season. What how big of a concern is this Draymond Green Jordan Poole situation? Well, um, so Draymond will be back at practice tomorrow. And for those uh listening, we're recording this Wednesday night. So Thursday he'll be back at practice. So I can't say, but based off of the way everything is going, I think short term it's fine. Long term, it's a question in general. Um, it's uh, it's not the way that the team would have wanted camp to go. I'll put it that way. Have you been surprised at all with just the responses that were? We know what happened before the video came out. They really just tried to paper over everything, like it wasn't a big deal. Since the video has come out, there's just been some like pretty open, um, I just frustration on the record from Kavon Looney, Steph, Steve Kerr. Has that shocked you at all? They've been that candid after the fact. Yes and no. I'm not surprised by the reactions. Um, maybe surprised by the candidness. I think that's um, that kind of shows you the next level of frustration that they're having. Look, Draymond's always been kind of a wild card. Right. Um, it's why he is a phenomenal player and probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and definitely the best defender of his generation which he loves to tell everyone. Um, but at the same time, uh, not the easiest personality and can run a little hot. Uh, I think it shocked his teammates that he actually is willing to swing on a teammate. And then the video was significantly worse. Um, I can understand being in practice. You know, you're, you're paying attention to your own thing with your coach and then you see something out of your corner of your eye and you go there and you break it up. And you didn't really understand what happens. But then you see this video of like jumping from the three-point line and uh, it looked really bad. I can understand why they feel the way they do. And is it something that you think, that not this team, but Draymond can come back from with regards to this team? I think... I think short term, there's no concern for me, but I think the bigger concern is uh, Draymond's never been one to um, kind of lie down and be like, I'm at fault, mm-hmm. you know, and like admit his faults. Like the whole Draymond experience is just sheer defiance, like defying the idea that a six, six guy can be a center on defense, right? Like he's, He's a, he's a force of defiance in every way, and that's why he's a good player. Um, and he does all the things he does, but at the same time, it's like, can he let it? Can he let it go that basically he's the, the bad guy here? You know, like, can he just live 
with the idea that everyone's going to think he was a jerk and not want to be like, Hey, you guys aren't listening to it from my perspective and then lead to like an explosion or that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm curious because he's generally not operated that way. He's generally been the definition of a guy who, um, you know, my way or the highway, and I'm willing to make it uh, uncomfortable to get my way. And looming in the backdrop of this is Draymond Green's extension eligibility. And I think of the Warriors who could sign extensions, he would be the least likely one to even before this. Does that threat do one? I guess, do you agree with that sentiment? And two, does that the extension, his next contract, his future with the team, is that something that casts a pal over the organization this season, independent of this entire Jordan Poole situation? I think so. Um, I, 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 Draymond will say it's not the case, but I do think the contract was the backdrop of the entire altercation. Um, I'm speculating, so I can't say it for fact, but the organization is trying to sign Jordan Poole to a long-term contract before they sign Draymond Green. They're letting everyone know Jordan Poole is a priority. Now you can understand it. He's 23. Draymond will be 33 this season. Um, there's, you know, just kind of like, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing, but it's also like reality. You know, the younger player kind of gets a priority with contract stuff. Um, at the same time, Draymond's a very proud player and he has every right to be like, we wouldn't have won last year or any of the other titles without me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm not saying that the organization is not willing to offer him what they want, but I do think for a player as competitive as Draymond, the backdrop of you're prioritizing that guy, where would they, where would that guy be without my leadership over me has to at least somewhat factor into the mental psychology here a little bit. And it just feels like, even if this isn't the outcome that it does feel more likely uh, that Draymond would leave golden state in free agency last year after all this, especially if it happens in the backdrop of uh, Jordan Poole getting an extension, if they prioritize Andrew Wiggins at that point, over him and I don't know how likely that is in general that he would leave but this whole situation to me from a zillion feet away just feels very unsettling when you're looking at his future it does but at the on the other hand uh Jordan Poole doesn't play power forward or center Wiggins doesn't play power forward or center so everything with the Warriors on this backdrop of okay the logical person can see those two guys are ascending players who um you know for the life of their next contract you're not worried about injuries and uh kind of all the things that come with older players right meanwhile draymond's 33 the way he plays you know every logical person's like how much longer can he play like this before his body breaks down right um it's a little rougher but end of the day until wiseman kuminga um or an external player is able to actually prove they can be the interior defensive anchor of a team that's contending. And I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about be the anchor against the Portland trailblazers in the regular season. I'm talking about be the anchor against the Grizzlies uh, against like, I don't know, the Clippers, the teams you will face in the Western conference finals and the finals Draymond's imperative to this team. And that's what makes the whole thing kind of uh, uncomfortable because, you know, as much as you could say, Oh, well it's, it's time to move on from him. They don't have a solution. Jordan Poole, and I know it's speculating, but would you expect him to sign an extension rather than reach restricted free agency? And at this point, would you take the over or under on that Tyler Hero guarantee, which was 130, but he was guaranteed 120 over four? 
I'm going to go uh, 70, 30, he signs. I okay. think, I think there's a better than average chance. He signs an extension. Um, but with everything going on and the reality of him being um, a lead guard on a team, who's not making him a lead guard. Like if, if I was, if I was, uh, if he hit restricted free agency, couldn't you see a team like Orlando making a very uncomfortable offer? At yeah. the Warriors, like being like, look, we got Paulo Bancaro. Franz Wagner is a growing player. Pool makes all the sense in the world around this. And let's see how much the Warriors really want him. Right. Yeah. So he's sure. kind of one of those players who can maybe uh, play with it a little bit and see, see like how much the Warriors are going to go. But I'm going 70 30. He gets an early extension um, because it just seems like, based on everything out of the Warriors, they're, I don't want to say dead set on it, but they're very motivated to get it done. And then, um, on more than hero, uh, I'm going to go like 99%. Uh, I just don't think he's going to sign for less. And I, I think he kind of has leverage right now. I think the Draymond yeah, situation. Like a Draymond punched you tax a little bit. Yeah. Dinner. It's like, it's like, you know, Hey guys, don't, don't lowball me here. You know, like that's, that's the sort of thing. So it's like, uh, I think it will happen. And I think it will be for, it might just be for like a penny more, but I think it will be for more. Um, and if they're going to sign him to that type of a number, like, are we gearing towards, is there a scenario in which they keep this entire squad together with also paying Draymond and Andrew Wiggins and Poole, bringing everybody back next year? If you're giving Jordan Poole that number, that's a huge number, and we know what happens to their, their luxury tax concerns after that. I think the only way in which they keep everyone back involves Draymond and Clay um, taking less. And okay. taking the, um, you know, like the Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, like, all right, we, you know, it, for the next, you know, we're going to take less relative to market value um, because, you know, it's a young guy's time and we want to be, you know, we want to age gracefully and do the Spurs thing. I, I don't think that happens, but like, that's the only scenario in which it happens. Cause I will say, um, you know, as much as, uh, Lake of likes to complain about the luxury tax. He is willing to pay mm-hmm. a significantly high tax. It's just like, like all people there's, there's a number, right? Um, they, I think their combined payroll and tax this year is 400 million, which is very high. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound like they want to go much over that. So it's like one of those things where it's like, at some point, certain players are either going to have to be like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to demand every last penny or, or they leave type of thing. When you're looking at Jordan Poole specifically for this season, he's going to get a big money contract one way or mm-hmm. the other. What are you actually watching for with him and how he can, I, I guess with improve within the context of this team. Cause I think you hit it on the head before. It's like, you have a lead guard who's not on this team because of the way that they're built essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think Jordan Poole has, I think he's underrated because contextually he's always kind of like the little brother to the splash brothers. Like he there in some ways it reminds me of James Harden and OKC where mm-hmm. all the headlines went to um, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook for, for fair reasons. But in, it was, it was hard to see how good Harden could be because you're like, you see him in this very defined role and you're like, well, would he be that good if he was the man, you know, that sort of thing. Now, I'm not saying Jordan Poole is going to become James Harden because that's highly unrealistic, but I do think I do think there's a chance he could be as productive as someone like Donovan Mitchell 
if he was mm-hmm. a lead guard on another team in a year or two, honestly. And I think that's probably the way he views things. I'm averaging 17, 18 points per game, limiting myself so we could win. Put me on, put me on any run of the mill NBA team, and I'm an easy 25, 5 and 5 type of guy. Um, I think his pathway to stardom, honestly, just continue growing on offense. He, there's nothing he can't do. It's just about doing it more consistently. Like he can really shoot the ball. It's about like make your shot selection a little better. So that 37% is closer to 40, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, make, you know, be a little smarter so that those 4.5 assists are more like 5.5, you know, like those little things. And then the obvious one is just like, be competent on defense. Like he's never, he's never going to be a stopper, but like Steph Curry is the perfect example of a guy who was a terrible defender um, early in his career. Then he became an, uh, like a good defender or just like a good team defender. And mm-hmm. now he's outright a uh, plus defender, you know? And like, again, the goal is, or the expectation is not that he progresses that much. The expectation is he can do his job on a team defensively uh, instead of being a guy where the coaching staff is like, all right, we got to pull him off because we need some stops right now. You know? Yeah. I, I do think he might be one of the more underrated finishers in the league um, yeah. stuff. He can even do with his offhand. I know he doesn't get to the rim a ton and maybe that's why people don't realize that, but that still feels like it might be the most underrated part of his game right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think honestly, he's a true three level scorer, And the biggest thing with him is trying to, um, it's that balance between uh, creative freedom and like making sure he doesn't just like turn into a player who takes 18 like fadeaways, you know? <laughs> so, uh, cause he, cause like he is an amazing shooter and he's a great, he's a, he's great with the ball in his hands at all three levels. So it's kind of like just harnessing that in a way that's most productive for the team. Um, yeah. It's, it's not a talent thing with him. It's just kind of like he, how do you how do you use that within the context of Warriors team that RSS Steph Curry? Uh, in the true ass backwards fashion of what's happened with this team so far, I normally start with asking you about the offseason. Did you have any issue with them ultimately not bringing back GP two or Otto Porter Jr.? More so Otto for me. Oh, um, really? I like both, just to be clear. But I thought they'd have an easier chance replacing GP um, just because of internal options and just kind of like what's out there in the market. Whereas auto auto was a stretch big, which was something they they'd never had. Um, and someone who could play next to Draymond or next to Looney or whoever it may be. He was a very, yeah. it's just hard to find six, nine guys with seven, two wingspans who can competently play team defense and shoot 40% from three. So I thought it was um, risky to let him go because he was a very valuable – and also throwing on to that, um, have enough basketball IQ to kind of be a playmaker, which is like a mandatory thing for the Warriors. I'm not I'm not saying like be Jokic. I'm just like somebody gets the ball to they can make a de- de- decision, right? Like that yeah. sort of stuff. So I thought those players are – I think those type of players are very hard to find, and the Warriors have just never had them. I mean, honestly, like the Draymond Looney – front court as good as it's been for the Warriors like yeah it'd be nice if one of them could shoot you know 
Right. Um, it, it's nice to be able to mix in a guy who kind of has the same level of IQ and feel as them, but can be a shooter. So I thought losing Otto would suck, but like based on what I've seen from Jamichael Green in preseason, it seems like last year, uh, whatever happened with Denver with his shooting falling off, like um, he looks to be the guy he was prior. And um, if that's the case, I think they're in an enviable position in terms of roster. Like, could always question the depth, but like pretty decent. What do you think about Dante DiVincenzo's fit, and what are you sort of just most interested to see um, in in how he impacts this rotation? Oh, he's about to be a fan favorite. Um, I, I think he's tailor made for a team like the Warriors because he's the quintessential jack, you know, uh, jack of all, master of none. Like he can handle, but he's not a point guard. He can shoot, but he's not, you know, Clay Thompson. Uh, he can defend, but he's not GP two. You know, like he does everything at let's say a B, B to B plus level. You know, mm-hmm. like he has no deficiency, but he's also not like a standout in any one way. Like he's, you know, he's not a he's not a lead playmaker. He's not a big time shooter, shot creator. Uh, he's not like a lockdown defender. He's just above average at everything. Uh, and I think the Warriors system benefits that because they want as many guys who know how to play in context of five-man motion basketball and then they end up playing better collectively than they would individually like they're not a team that wants one ball handler and like four guys like straddling the perimeter waiting for their shot and doing like the James Harden thing so early preseason has shown that he looks like a great fit and I think it's going to continue all season does Andrew Wiggins get an extension Let's go 50. Well, I was going to go 51 49, but I'll go 50 50. Uh, they want to bring him back. The fit's there. He wants to come back because, um, obviously, he was in Minnesota. He's like, he's seen both sides of the spectrum. In Minnesota, like, he was everyone's favorite punchline, right? All of a he sudden, like, after the- Minnesota, he would have gone through like eight head coaches by now with the time that he's been in Golden State, right? Yeah, no, but like, also, like, you know. It was kind of a fun story to watch, like the redemption in the finals, and he was he was damn good, right? He he really did play impactful basketball. So I do think he wants to come back, but it's a question of the number. Um, I think the Warriors are probably comfortable with him going to free agency, knowing that like their worst case scenario is he comes to them, and be like, "This is what I have on the table. What what's the most you're willing to do to match this?" Would you have a walkaway number for him if you're the Warriors? Yes, but it really depends on where Kuminga and to a lesser extent Moody are in 12 months. That's a fantastic point. And I have questions on them. But first, <laughs> with, with Wiggins, uh, how much do we buy into like the thrust, like on the glass that he was playing with in the postseason, maybe being able to translate to the regular season? I think his three point shot within the context of how the Warriors play that I just f- feels dependable now but his overall defensive role he's been so good in it is that just is this just like the new normal and we need to buy into it I think the defense is real I think the shot is real I want to believe the rebounding's real but I'm not a hundred percent there um I would not be surprised if he was one of those players who like four to five rebounds a game but when it's a big game he gets 10 you know like um, and I think that's kind of a personality quirk type thing. Like, honestly, I'm more impressed that he had the ability to elevate his game when the team needed him to in the playoffs continually. 
time and time again um, throughout every round than anything. And I think the Warriors will live with him being like solid, but not like amazing on the glass in the regular season. If it means, you know, when they're two, two in a series, you're going to get that max force Andrew Wiggins. Um, He seems to think he's unlocked something and he's going to rebound better in the regular season this year. But like, I don't know. I want to see it. Like so much of the Wiggins experience is it's not that he can't do stuff. It's that he kind of like he floats. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but like, you know, warrior fans have every right to feel like we know he, when, when it matters, he can lock in and do certain things. And, and ultimately isn't that all that really matters. Yeah, I mean, he's been the perfect complement to his just the Wiggins from Minnesota to Golden State is barely recognizable. They've streamlined his role and he's bought into it. And it just it works. And he was mm-hmm. just the second best player during the NBA finals for the Warriors. Like that's a wild proposition to consider when you when you think about where he was three years ago. So the kids, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman, uh, who plays the biggest role or who do the Warriors need to play the biggest role this season among those three? Um, it's twofold. I think they need one of Wiseman or Kuminga to take a step, but I think Moody's going to be Mr. Reliable for them. Um, preseason and everything we've heard about in the off season, like Moody's just ready to play. Uh, he's not just a three and D guy. He's just like a solid all around wing. He'll play defense. He can really shoot the ball and he can really pass the ball. Those are tend to be things that get you on the floor. Right. Um, I actually think Wiseman might be in for a year because there's a role for him and they want him to, um, they've just carved out a role for him to be, um, for lack of a better term, a rim running, rim protecting big, and he has the physical tools to do it. The one that I'm curious about is Kuminga. I think Kuminga has the highest upside of the three, Mm -hmm. uh, being as he's a wing with just absolute freakish athleticism and like, he kind of has a cockiness too, to be that guy. Right. Uh, but like, I don't know where he fits into the roster in some ways because you have, like you said, you got Wiggins, you got Clay, you got Draymond, you bring Jamichael Green, who's a veteran who's going to get minutes, Moses Moody. Like at a certain point, you're like, where's Kuminga getting these minutes? Um, and, th- and that's going to be an interesting thing for them. Is like with Wiseman, should we expect to see a lot of tethering him to Jordan Poole's minutes and trying to get through the pick and roll that way in some of like the heavier second units? Or is there someone specifically you're expecting them to tether Wiseman? To? Yes, a, a little Steph too. They seem to be more interested in tethering him to Jamichael Green. Like when uh, Draymond went out, they didn't put Jamichael or Wiseman in the starting lineup. They put Kuminga. They wanted to see how it looked when Kuminga played next to Looney with the first unit. And then they had the Jamichael Wiseman combo. They seem pretty interested in doing that. And then like all their guards are pretty adept at running pick and rolls and getting mm-hmm. Wiseman downhill pool being the primary one. But you also have Dante. You also have Moses Moody. Um, I think that's, where we're going to start with it, but it'll be interesting if Wiseman really kind of like gains some momentum, if they eventually move him into the starting lineup or what they do in that route. Um, I don't think, things are going to change when it gets to playoff time. Like Looney's going to be the guy that Steve Kerr trusts, but like all things equal, it wouldn't hurt for them to get Wiseman more reps with the starting unit and next to the veterans to make the game easier for him too. And it kind of feels like, I mean, if Draymond Green is going to be there, he like figuring out how to play those two together could be pretty critical long-term. 
uh, is this the season? Just given how good Jordan Poole's become, and the like, the bench might skew younger if you're playing Moody and Wiseman a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this the year though that they can prop up the offense without Steph and like kind of get above league average? I think so. I actually think this sets up to be a great year for Steph because this is the only time they've had a guard um, who can run the offense uh, once Steph's on the floor. Like Sean Livingston was an awesome complimentary piece to Steph, but like the Livingston lead guard lineups were not great, right? Um, and we can go through all the players they've had. They were never situated to function without Steph. So I think so. And I think if everything works out for them, it's going to work in their benefit because it will allow them to play Steph, let's say 65 games instead of 70. Um, and that might be the difference between Steph having fresh legs in May, June, and and not. And um, as we saw last year, uh, if Steph's fresh and feeling physically good, like, he's still very much capable of being the best player in any playoff series. So, I mean, that's that's the gift that Jordan Poole gives you. Is Steph going to play enough during the regular season to be in the MVP conversation? Just feels like he could have kind of a mo- – he had like a low-key monster year last year, but people are like, oh, he shot under 40% from three. It feels like he could come back like gangbusters, but then you just mentioned, oh, maybe he only has to play 65 I hope games. He's, I hope he's not. I think the Warrior right. fan perspective would be – 63 games. I'm picking an arbitrary 60, 65 number, uh, but very healthy when the playoffs start. Like you want him to um, be good enough to remind everyone that he's still that guy, but not so. You know, 75 games is too much, uh, especially with this playoff load. So um, I really hope he's not in the MVP conversation because if he's in the MVP conversation, that means he played 75 games. Uh, and then I just I get worried that they run out of gas. You get a 2016 type of situation. You might have just talked me out of picking him for MVP because I was jockeying <laughs> between Giannis and Steph. And so do you expect the team like at large to approach the regular season very much in that that vein? Just like trying to, you know, self-preservation there where it's not you don't care, but like we're gonna see like some maintenance programs in place if they have the flexibility. In general, they've always viewed the Spurs as idealistic. So um I would think so. There's also ego coming into play a little bit. So, like, I don't know. If Steph never picks up an injury all year, so in other words, the only games he misses are just pure, uh, you know, rest ones, he'll probably end up at, like, 70 games or, like, 68 games. You know, like, sit back-to-backs, might miss a game here or there just to, like, um, you know, wind him down and make sure he's healthy for the the regular season. Um, And I do think, in general, they are very, very proactive with approaching their veterans that way. Uh, you just never know how it's going to play out with injuries and everything, right? Since you kind of, or not kind of, since you did mention that Kaminga might have the hardest path among the kids to regular playing time, what are you either watching for from him or what would be his path to making it difficult to choose between like, oh, are we going to play him consistently or more minutes or not? So the issue is his offensive role and his defensive role are not aligned. Um so right now they're trying him at small forward. They want him to play Andrew Wiggins's role. And defensively, he could kind of do it. Like he, um, when they were playing the Wizards in Japan, he was just on an island guarding whoever they asked him to. And he was doing it very well. Like if he has the tools to be an elite wing one-on-one defender, can move his feet versus anyone, length physicality athleticism also doesn't really foul so like he's very ahead there but the problem is offensively he's not small forward he's neither a playmaker or a shooter 
you know, like he doesn't have, he reminds me in some ways of a young Jalen Brown where like, you can neither shoot the ball or dribble the ball particularly well. Right. Um, and that becomes a problem for the Warriors. So on offense, he's had his most success when he's played the four or the five, um, you know, just kind of using athleticism to be a slasher. Right. Uh, but when he does that defensively, he hasn't been as good um, because defensively at the four or the five, he's got to be kind of more of the decision maker. It's a little more about help defense and yeah. IQ and he's young. And so that's kind of the tricky part for him. Um, I don't know if they can get to lineups that allow him to be like the, the finisher on offense, but the wing stopper on defense. Um, that was the role that GP two played last year. That yeah. seems to be the role they want him to play this year, but they don't have the same roster. A lot of that roster was dictated by having like Otto Porter and a couple other players who were kind of bigs on or on defense, sorry, uh, but on offense, they were spacers, that type of stuff. So uh, I'm not saying it's impossible, and I actually think at some point they'll find something, but like that's the conundrum they're going through there, whereas with someone like James Wiseman or Moses Moody, uh, Wiseman's a five on both ends of the floor. You know, like, right. and, and Moody's a, a shooting guard on both ends of the floor. So there's not like this kind of like complication factor that comes with Kuminga, not saying they can't get beyond it, but it does, it, it puts him at this position where it's like, where, where, what is his role in the short term? Based off what you saw when he came back and then through the playoffs, what are just some realistic expectations for an entire season's worth of healthy Clay Thompson at this point? Um, so last year in the regular season, he shot what 39% from three and 44% from two. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he can probably do the same thing, but with more consistency this year. Um, he's clay. I was a little, I was both surprised and not surprised that he in, had was not bashful about shooting when he came back. Like it, you would think missing that much time, you wouldn't assert yourself like you're a primary option but he did you know right like he's just like i got the ball i'm open i'm shooting it you know so in some ways i don't think uh if you're if you're thinking from a fantasy basketball perspective um other than my concern that they're going to load manage him a lot i still think he's gonna average 20 points a game okay, uh, wow. on the same on the same numbers he's averaged his whole damn career you know um three or four three-pointers a game um mediocre rebounding and like all the other stuff, you know, I, I he's going to play the game the way he does, by the way, I'm watching his brother in, in a baseball game right now. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm not concerned about that. I think, I think the more interesting questions like, you know, playoffs, it's a little more nuanced. Like, is he quicker on defense? We'll see, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I think he's, I think what we saw in the playoffs from him, like you'll see maybe, 15% better, like a little more consistency, but like kind of that player. And I guess, do they have enough safety nets though, to move him around on defense? When you look at Dante DiVincenzo, the way Andrew Wiggins has played and then what they clearly seem to believe uh, about Moses Moody. I think so, because um, in some ways uh, he's better suited guarding bigger players. Cause he's strong. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think the days of clay guarding like a quick guard, you know, at, at the half court line, like, probably not the way you want to use him going forward, right. you know, he's good, but like, he's, he's, he's kind of huge. Like I, I, one of my favorite things when people see the Warriors live, they're like, I didn't realize Clay was that big. 
And I don't mean just like tall, like he's just kind of, he's kind of a, a bigger guy and he's very comfortable guarding threes and fours. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's a huge issue. I think they've asserted enough youth and athleticism to not be like, you know, it's, it's not 2016 and like clay go chase Russell Westbrook around. Although maybe, maybe 2022, you want him. Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, they, they don't, they don't necessarily need him to be the guy who sticks with John Morant the way that um, the 2016 Warriors team would have wanted him to. We've reached the cookie cutter portion of the podcast. Nice. So what is a strength about this team that you do not think is receiving enough attention as we head into the regular season? That's an interesting question. Um, I think their roster versatility is a little underrated. Um, people will look at the lack of bigs and be concerned that they don't have enough size, but I think they have a ton of wings who can guard multiple positions and force the style of basketball that they like to play mm-hmm. in general. So, um, I think this roster is just as versatile as last year's roster. It doesn't mean it'll be as good as last year's roster, but it, it's built in that same vein of like, all right, we got Stefan Poole. And then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, we got like Looney and Wiseman. And then everyone else is just kind of like a, are they a two? Or are they a four? Eh, they're all, they're all wings, you know? They're also like a team. And I'm like, I don't see how they necessarily would have gotten worse on paper here. I mean, they did lose Otto Porter Jr., but they were just quietly top 10 in defensive rebounding last year. And they weren't built like a roster that was supposed to be. Yeah. And, and I think um, this comes back to um, my defensiveness over, uh, over one Draymond Green. Like, he really is probably the best defender of his generation because if you give him players who have a certain level of um feel and like length he can kind of dictate a team to uh, top five top 10 defense in general uh and you know as long as draymond's uh, with the warriors and engaged i don't i don't see any reason this team can't be that same thing is there uh there are the low-hanging fruit concerns with this team are there other concerns that you don't think are getting enough attention that, that you're watching for leading into the regular season what are the low-hanging ones are health and like uh, drama yeah pretty at this point then maybe i guess you could say oh are they how do, can they effectively continue straddling the lines of development with their three primary prospects with you know actually contending for a title i really think that's those are the main concerns like i don't see a serious basketball issue um un, i mean those are technically basketball issues but um i i really do think those primary ones are about all that matters for this team uh, if those ones don't come into gear, I think they're as good as anyone in terms of matching up with their opponents, unless unless you think Steph Curry is going to decline this year, in which case then nope. we have a different conversation. I can't even envision a scenario in which that happens. I, I'm not going to speak it into existence. Uh, is there like a matchup in the West then that like particularly would not worry you or, or would worry you or concern you when you're looking at the makeup of the conference right now? Going to go off the beaten path and go Minnesota. Um, they're huge. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, uh, youth and athleticism scare me a little more than, um, 
you know, like age and IQ, the Clippers are the obvious one that runs like they have a bunch of wings. Oh, you know, they can switch everything on the Warriors. But all I see with the Clippers are a bunch of wings who look like Al Horford. Like, I'm not really worried about Robert Covington or Nicholas Batum switching on Steph Curry. I am worried about Kawhi Leonard. But, like, the whole idea of switching is you you can't get an advantageous matchup. And with the Clippers, it's like two to three advantageous matchups in every lineup combination. So I think that's a little over overblown there with Minnesota. And I'm honestly talking myself into this as I'm saying this to you. So I'm not even positive. I believe it the whole way I'm saying it. Um, they are significantly bigger and more athletic at every position. And I do wonder if that clash of styles can't force, can't be the type of thing that officially makes the Warriors feel old. That it's the concept that Memphis had last year, right? But maybe better executed uh, because Anthony Edwards takes a step. Rudy Gobert is better than Stephen Adams, uh, and they have better wing defenders than the Memphis Grizzlies. I do think that type of team. Um, is more likely to be the one who eventually retires the Warriors uh, than than anything else. I was listening to one of the Lightyear's episodes where you and Andy had talked about sort of your sentiments on the Clippers, and I hadn't thought about them in that vein. You said it. I was like, he might be fucking right. Like, there's like, yeah, Kawhi is there and Paul George is there, but they don't have people that you worry about once they switch that you're necessarily concerned about. They I have, didn't... A, they oh, have a bunch of wings who are set up to switch onto Luka or LeBron. Not a bunch of wings who are situated to stand on an island with Steph Curry or Jordan Poole, you know? And it can go both ways. Like, I'm sure the Warriors are not thrilled about the idea of Jordan Poole guarding Kawhi in isolation, you know? For sure, for sure. Like, that sort of thing. But it's like, um, they have a bunch of auto porters, honestly, around those guys. Where you're just like, I love this guy. He's obviously a winning player. I want him on my team. But... Do I want him guarding Steph Curry one-on-one at the top of the key? Probably not. I want him, uh, you know, I, I want him to be able to hold that until I can like switch it to the matchup I want, which is why I kind of went to my point where they have a lot, there's a lot of pressure on Terrence Mann on that team. I did think about New Orleans there for a minute, by the way. I just don't trust their shooting or for them to play the lineups that I think would actually give the Warriors problems. They have the, um, I don't know why I think Minnesota is more of like, farther along than them in developmentally, like as a team, but it's the same type of thing where I look at both those teams where I'm like, if these pieces buy in and progress, those are the type of teams who like, we'll be looking at it's like, well, of course they beat the Warriors because now it's their time and mm-hmm. the Warriors are old people, you know? Yeah. Like they have that kind of like younger, more talented athletic at every position. It's, it's really a question of like, is this going to be the year Anthony Edwards tells everyone like I'm the best guard in the NBA and I'm a top five player or like Zion is, you know, Zion's been phenomenal, but it's just kind of like, is this going to be the year of Zion's like, you know, it's my league type of thing. When you look at this team's 10 man rotation, it does feel like there's probably like eight or nine locks in Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole, DiVincenzo, and then Wiseman is where I stopped with my locks. So that's eight. Would you agree with those locks? And how would you flesh out the I final? Would, I would say Moody's a lock. So that's nine. Um, did you mention Jamichael? No. He's a lock. So that's ten. That's ten. Um, huh. I would say Jamichael Green is 
the biggest of locks for the rotation. Um, if he's not in the rotation, they have big issues because they essentially signed him to replace Otto Porter, um, who we've given way too much time to on this, on this episode. I was surprised you picked him, by the way, just because he didn't shoot the three ball well towards the end of last year. But no, he didn't. The other high IQ stuff, and the, you mentioned about the defense. I think he, I, he, he, he forced people to guard him, though, which is something that, like, I mean, run through Warriors front court players, Zaza, Bogut, um, Looney, like maybe it's, maybe it's just me being excited to see a stretch big, <laughs> like, you know, um, even though the execution was ugly at times, um, I, I thought he had a lot of value for the team. Um, so, but anyway, to your point, Moody and Jamichael and then Kuminga would be number 11 right now. I, I think that's going to be the rotation all year. And I think the reality of like, injuries and rest will mean that 11 is nine most nights. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really what it's going to be. Honestly, like I don't see, um, you know, Andre Godal will get his random runs. Uh, and then uh, Patrick Baldwin looks ahead of schedule. He might play his way into the rotation that stretches, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that to be a player who plays in any way. I think those 11 guys are uh, for better or worse, the, primary rotation for most of the year um this is to some extent matchup dependent but is their most used closing unit just going to be pull kavan looney from the starters and then it's jordan pool or do you see the potential to futz and fiddle a little bit more especially maybe if they're worried about like are they all of a sudden worried about clay in certain defensive matchups they have like six guys who i think you can argue who should probably be should probably close regularly yeah so i mean it's the main six are, are going to be the first option. So it'll, you know, whether they want to go small or, or big will be determined that way. And then I would say Jamichael, Dante, and Moody will get the next shot. They've thrown Moses, Moses Moody into some of those those rotations. Um, you know, 3 and D guy with, with some feel. It makes sense, right? He's a little bigger than you think. He's 6'6", 7-foot uh, wingspan. So they feel comfortable with him switching on to bigger players. Um Dante can also do some of that stuff. And then Jamichael. Uh, and then uh, I, I think that's it. So, like, if we're being honest, you know, it's kind of eight guys for their final rotation, even though we know it's going to be the main five or six. Is there a quirky, bonkers, weirdo, offbeat lineup you'd like to see Steve Kerr roll out this season? I would like to see Steve Kerr roll out Jamichael Green or Draymond Green. Yeah, just a green at center. Um, Kuminga at the four, which means he gets to play center. Let's get a little, uh, let's get a little Dante DiVincenzo and, um, in, uh, Moses Moody out there and maybe a little Steph Curry too. Let's see. Let's see how it looks when, when we get a little weird like that. I just want to see just for like the aesthetics or maybe the symmetry Steph plus the kids. Give me Jordan Poole, James Wiseman. Kuminga, everyone plays, hey, everyone plays better with Steph. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe Kaminga might all of a sudden start hitting threes or something, and then Wiseman has these open paths to the basket. Who knows? Uh, I just want to see Steph plus the kids. So, as we're recording this, I actually don't think I adjusted it, but after the Draymond stuff, I think their win total over-under dropped by two to (laughs) 52.5. I'm not even kidding, because it was at 54.5 when we were first scheduled to meet. So, are you taking the over or the under on that 52.5? I'm taking the the over, but I don't know if I'd put money on it. So that's like a cop out. I thought they were, so they won 53 last year. 
I feel very confident that they were going to exceed that, but then all the drama happened, and now I'm I'm, I'm a little timid. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go with the over. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We're taking the over. If they don't do it, um, I'm blaming you. I picked the under when it was 54 and a half, and I don't know that I changed it after it dropped. I did find it just comical that it, apparently the, the Jordan Poole, Draymond Green thing was worth two wins on the betting market. I just found that a little funny. Uh, so the where how many teams, if you were to – like how many teams would you bet on or would you pick are more likely to win the title this season than Golden State? More likely or, or could I see? I, I think that are genuinely more likely. I think we can say that there might be like eight teams that theoretically could win a title this year, maybe more than that, if you really wanted to get spicy. But is there like a number of teams that you have more confidence in than the Warriors? I have one right now. To answer my own. Like I have Milwaukee just because their situation feels a little bit less combustible now. But when you go through the West and some of the experimental stuff that's happening in Minnesota, the newness in New Orleans, um, LA, like is a, uh, the Clippers, I mean, are trendy pick, yes. but like, let's see them stay healthy. Um, and then the Suns, just the vibes, they are not like their top five players. I will, are great. I will, I will put all my money on the Suns not being the team. Um, I'm with you with Milwaukee. I don't know if I'd go more, but certainly not less. Uh, definitely feels less dramatic. They're not dealing with a central player dealing with, uh, whatever crisis going on with the Warriors. Um, I, I think that might be it. Like the, the teams I think I could see beating the Warriors without like, um, you know, a bunch of moving parts. Like I could see Denver beating the Warriors. I could see the Clippers beating the Warriors. I could see Philly and Boston potentially beating the Warriors. Um, and so that comes down to like throw in Milwaukee and the Warriors. Those are the, the six teams I think are the most likely to win the title. I would, I think I'd probably agree with all those things. Um, my final question is, what was it like covering last year's championship run relative to the other two? Where 2015, they were just kind of abrupt. And then the two Kevin Durant ones, you know, it was kind of inevitable. They were still, like, <laughs> dominant, but they were just kind of inevitable. So where does that, like, where did last year's title run sort of rank? For, well, not rank, but, like, how was it covering a team that was operating almost on the in-between of those, those two scales? I think because it's recent, most Warriors people will say it felt the sweetest. Um, mostly because you described it 15, it felt like they skipped a step. It was so, um, surprising. Like the Warriors for me, my whole life were like lovable losers. Then they got respectable and, you know, it was fun, but even at the height of the respectability, when they're like beating the Denver nuggets, um, did I think they were a title contender? No. You know, because that, that's not what they do, right? They're they're not they're not that kind of team, right? Um, and then they did it and it happened so quick. Uh, and then you know, obviously you get Kevin Durant, and like now you're you know, you're dealing with history, you're you're competing with history. That's it. Um, and then they get knocked down to earth. Uh, and you know, when you're walking through it, you're just thinking like just one more chance for this core, that's it. And so for that reason, it felt kind of surreal and and the sweetest to watch because uh uh because it, it felt earned i guess is the best way to put it um 15 15 felt like like the kid who like crashed a party <laughs> and you don't really like contextually understand what you've done you're just like well you know that type of thing right <laughs> um and then you, you know you, you back it up with like a kevin durant and everything they do like 
uh, it's, a, it's a wholly different experience. It's cool, but it's like a wholly different experience. And then they get knocked down to, to come back up from it. It's pretty cool. Uh, is there anything or anyone I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be discussed? Any strong uh, Ryan Hollins, Ryan Rollins takes? I don't even remember his name at this point. Uh, Ryan <laughs> Rollins, excuse me. Ryan I'll, Rollins. I'll say I, I'm hopping on midseason because the Baldwin-Rollins hype <laughs> is real. And somewhere around January, we're going to be talking about how it's unfair that the Warriors drafted them where they did. And I'm going to be here to talk about it. It'll be an entire podcast dedicated <laughs> to them. Sam, thank you so much for your time. In case anyone skipped the intro, you're able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do. Yeah, um, you can follow me on the Light Years podcast. Just just follow me on Twitter. I, I put everything there, at Sam Scandiari. Um, I appreciate you, yeah. No problem. Thank you, as always, for the time. And as you know by now, I will be spamming your DMs in the future. 